Welcome back to the HSC Network podcast, everyone. This week, we're joined by Andy and Nick from eDriving. They're going to be looking at the triple threat in driver safety. To start with, could you give us maybe an intro into yourselves and what your positions are within eDriving? Uh, Andy Kewarden, uh, I'm the Managing Director for eDriving. So as you can imagine, with that sort of job title, the role is all-encompassing. Um, I've been around with the company since its inception, back in the days before the internet was born. Um, so, yeah, so um, we've just literally been celebrating our 25th uh, anniversary of the company being founded. So um, a lot's gone on, lots changed over the years. And um, primary focus now that I have is to help organisations, um, both UK and across the world, um, have and implement an effective road safety program. Thanks, Andy. Uh, Nick List, uh, my role's recently changed, so I'm looking after business development now across uh, Europe. Um, and similar to Andy, in as much as uh, working with organisations, large and small, in terms of developing um, safe driving programmes um, and, and what that will look like using our um, product services and solutions that we have, which are very wide-ranging. Brilliant. Uh, so we're going to be talking about, as mentioned, the triple threat area today. Um, readers and listeners of the podcast probably remember Nick um, from a previous episode in which we looked at uh, is driver safety worth the risk? Um, of course, in that podcast, Nick, we worked out that it's, of course, not worth the risk. It's something, an area that organisations really need to look at. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the triple threat area today? Sure. So the triple threat is a combination of um, speeding, um, distraction and fatigue and, and how all of these three high risk behaviours uh, matters to drivers and, and the organisations that they that they drive on behalf of, in essence. And Andy, why are we focusing on these particular areas in driver safety? Yeah, um, David, yeah, I mean, if you look at the statistics, I mean, that, that gives us a great start point, to be honest, and, and then you can see why they really matter. Um, and if you take speeding, for instance, that's an obvious start point. You look at the statistics that, that come out from organisations like the World, well, like the World Health Organisation, for instance, um, you know, and again, if you split that between almost like um, high-income countries, low-income countries, you know, with the with more of the, the developing world, then, you know, the speed can be a direct contributor, contributory factor for around 50%. Um, higher income countries, you know, the more developed Western world, for instance, even there, you know, with more advanced systems, more advanced technologies, um, you know, higher evolutionary around road safety, even 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 in, in, in the West and in these markets, then, then still speak and contribute to around 30% um, of, of road deaths and, 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 and high-impact um, collisions, for instance. I suspect our listeners in the wider public will probably be familiar with quite a lot of these risks. Um, so why is it so important that we focus on them together? A great point, David. I mean, you're right. All three are extremely well-known. And so in some ways... People that are so sorry, so familiar that people become complacent is what I was trying to say there. I put my teeth back in. Uh, we're trying to refocus really the 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 attention on these behaviours and raise awareness of the fact that when combined, uh, the the triple threat really really is too dangerous just to ignore. Is it about drivers that do all three things at the same time? Yeah, in some ways, yes. Uh, yeah, we are. For example, researchers linked fatigue uh, with cognitive distraction. 
Um, we know that distracted driving um, can result in variable speeds. And I'm sure we've all been behind a driver that, who appears to be braking on and off for no reason. And then we've seen them on the phone. Um, and, and that happens, unfortunately, far too much um, still today, um, despite legislation, despite people you know, raising awareness about the risks that have, uh, are involved with that. Um, so we've seen the studies that have also confirmed the link as well between um, fatigue and speed variability. Um, they're definitely, definitely connected. Um, we also know that some drivers are far more likely to take take risks over others. And uh, rather than take just one risk, uh, a driver is inclined to take uh, the risk on the road could be more likely to take more than one risk at a time. Um, so obviously m- m- multiplying the impact of the, of the risk that they're taking. So for example, we might have a, a fatigue driver is already at a higher risk of having a collision um, who then makes the choice to use their phone whilst driving. Um, and that, you know, when we say using the phone, it matters not whether it's connected to Bluetooth or, or it's hands, you know, the, the handheld um, and, and auto driver and unsafe speed, of course, as well. So, and what they're doing um, to their crash risk, um, they're just multiplying it up um, and it becomes you know, a huge impact in terms of uh, potential risk factors there um, for that particular individual. And the others that are around them, of course, as well, that are totally innocent to all of this. Yeah, 100%. Um, I suppose the question maybe to some extent is, why are we looking at this now? I mean, I mean you know, as a layperson, um, one would assume that with the lockdown and people there being less drivers on the roads, that the roads would generally be a safer place. I suspect, Andy, you're probably going to tell me that that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, David, yeah, again, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, you know, it's 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 probably very well known that, you know, if, if you look at the figures for, for the amount of driving undertaken that have been released by the UK government, for instance, if you look at, you know, January, June 2020, that, you know, casualties, road deaths did indeed go down. But, you know, because naturally a lot of people were inside, not a lot of driving was being undertaken, particularly for people you know, driving for a living, for instance. But, you know, um, that's not to say that those people out driving, the behaviours, you know, with everything that's going on in society at the moment, it's the behaviours of those people that are out on the road that do seem to have taken, unfortunately, um, a turn for the worse. You know, research has started to come out that seems to corroborate that point of view. You know, some of our friends at Break, the Road Safety Charity, um, and one of our uh, one of the insurers as well, Direct Line. You know, they've just recently revealed a report that stress, anger, you know, questioning amongst drivers that are out on the road, you know, um, have, have, have naturally or not naturally, but unfortunately, taken taken a turn for the worse since the first UK national lockdown. You know, there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustrations out there, and unfortunately, driving is is one of those outlets that seem to be. As the um, the figures and the research is showing us that um, that seems to be seems to be occurring from people out on the road. Yeah, it's one of those areas where um, if you do suffer from anxiety and stress, it's an area that really can be a dangerous predicament to get in. Um, Nick, have you got anything to add to that? Um, I, I think uh, you know. It- we can we can all say yeah we know, you know we know that speeding and, and then distraction and fatigue are dangerous to, to drivers um, and then obviously how does it impact companies well I think it's just a reiteration really around uh, you know the existing health and safety laws that's applicable they've got a duty of care to, to to manage driving at work exactly the same as they have with all the other risk factors that or risks or or, or occupational um, activities that people are undertaking so. Companies need to manage these risks as well as part of their you know, wider 
encompassing them into their uh, health and safety arrangements. Uh, and this is, is applicable um, to company cars, Grey fleet vehicles, so those that are being used on behalf of an organization's business as well, as well as people, you know, it's good practice to embrace this into um, to privately owned vehicles, personally owned vehicles as well. You know, don't just, just assume it's the workplace vehicles, broaden it out as much as you possibly can, you know, in terms of achieving best practice. So looking at managers, potentially fleet managers, fleet safety managers in organizations and what they need to do. How does speeding, distraction and fatigue fit into the management of driving for work? It's key, David. It's an absolutely key fundamental part of, of driver fleet risk management. Um, and being able to measure these risks is, is, is critical. Um, you know, speeding, distraction and fatigue all increase, then, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that the likelihood of an ensuing collision um, occurring while driving for work, you know, is, is, is potentially going the wrong way. Um, so the ability to measure them and, and naturally reduce through having an effective risk management program um, is really still very important for organisations. That's one of the key elements why, you know, why we're reiterating the threat, the triple threat, as we're calling it, you know, is so is so relevant still, you know, where we are in today in, in, in May 2021. And within the sort of management framework, how do you go about identifying the riskiest drivers and maybe some of the at-risk behaviours within driving? Okay, David, that's a really, really good question. Yeah, again, you're firing them all at us today. So <laughs> there's a variety of different methods that can be really, really helpful. So um, including online risk assessments, in-car assessments. Obviously, that has been a bit of a challenge with COVID and the uh, behind-the-wheel training assessments um, in terms of the social distancing measures. But again, it's, it's, it's a good uh, way of capturing it. Um, programs such as telematics, of course, um, that will enable you to identify sort of specific driving behaviours such as speeding and the phone distractions that are there. Um, license checking, again, can alert you to uh, any related endorsements. Uh, and of course, ongoing checks can uh, help to notify you immediately uh, if there is an endorsement on there. Um, but fatigue is probably the most trickiest behaviour to measure. Um, and, and that's why it's often um, considered a hidden risk factor, um, because you just can't see something doesn't mean to say you can ignore it, of course. Um, but there are some physical signs um, such as yawning, um, difficulty keeping the eyes open, um, having bloodshot eyes, for example, or, or mentally uh, distracted or appearing irritable or people just not appearing to be themselves. So I think it's a case of, sort of using your people skills, um, observations. Um, and just observe employees and keeping an eye and watchful eye on employees and looking for things that are obviously impacting probably in their personal life as well that could, you know, new babies on the scene um, can often be, a, you know, a, a, a major distraction and causing um, a huge impact to fatigue uh, related. So some, there are some technologies out there that can pick up on these things um, and to help you identify fatigue tend to be quite costly uh, as, as, as these things are starting to develop, but obviously hopefully costs will come down. Um, but again, don't ignore it. It's, 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 you know, fatigue is, is a killer. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, you know, use your people skills, keep an eye on things, risk assess, use what you can in terms of observational um, skills around particular individuals, see whether they're um, look, showing signs of fatigue as I've identified already. Um, and you just do whatever you can to try and get that fatigue speed in and um, you know the distraction risks out of the equation wherever possible how when you're approaching people with regards to their behavior how do you go about doing that andy obviously you don't want to come in up you know all guns blazing in a way that's going to cause them to 
not want to have a conversation about it. No, absolutely, David. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to be sympathetic to what you see in front of you, to be honest, and naturally having an empathetic element to the ensuing discussion that's appropriate. You know, and that's where you need to make sure that the coaching, the training that you have in place to help improve these behaviours has that element of empathy, has that element of appropriateness, uh, and is relevant to addressing the the behaviours or the risks that um, that have been identified. I mean, this could take a variety of forms, you know, just from a from a practical point of view, um, whether it's just simply learning, whether it's behind the wheel, as and when that's, you know, available again, um, or coaching. That's always, you know, and we can't stress that element enough um, in the approach that organisations take of being a key element in understanding and help rectify those behaviours once identified. Um, as well as, you know, you always can do no more than to keep reinforcing how important, you know, naturally the driver's own welfare and safety is to um, around having these behaviours in place. I mean, it's a continuous process. That's, um, you know, that's a key element that we that we, that we we help to try um, organisations to understand. And that's why in one respect, you know, if you've got to catch all driver safety program that provides the same training to almost all drivers you know it's unlikely from from the work that we've done in this field for the past couple of decades you know it's very unlikely to be as effective as one that identifies those drivers that do need more support than others and sets out to improve the behaviors the attitudes of those drivers you know and and research backs this up you know, a critical reason for a crash can be assigned to a driver, but individual's behaviour in 90% plus of all instances of, of, of collisions, for instance. You know, another research shows that aggressive drivers tend to be involved in more collisions, you know, and understanding these behaviours and, and how individuals get identified as, as, as high-risk drivers is, you know, a fundament, fundamental element of... of um, of, uh, of helping achieve road safety and, and keeping that message important and alive and effective um, across an organisation. I, I touched on it before when we spoke about the safety operational balance and there's a key group of people here that we don't, you know, we shouldn't overlook as well in terms of how important they are. And that's those middle or line managers that come into the regular contact with the drivers, you know, mo- most likely to come into regular contact with, with drivers and making sure that, that, you know, as I said before on the last call that we and chat that we had, um, you know, in terms of top level um, organization, don't want people to have crashes. The drivers don't come in with the intention of having crashes. So, you know, make sure the message is not lost in the middle on those line managers, middle managers. You know, they understand that safety plays an equal metric in terms of the operations as well. Um, and, you know, and just make sure that, that that's communicated and people who have the opportunity to talk to drivers and spot these signs are aware of what the expectations are, you know, in terms of eliminating the, this, this triple threat that we're talking about today. Yeah, it's funny. Um, there's so many tan- um, similarities between this and other podcasts we have. It all comes down to culture at the end of the day, the culture of the organization from top down and also bottom up because um, we need to change behaviors on the grassroots level. Um, Nick, have you got maybe any thoughts on whether we can change the attitudes and behaviors of drivers in our organizations? I think we can. I think, you know, well, there's, there's no doubt that we can. I think it's, 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 it's a... Um, uh, it's a slow and it's, it's a bit like the oil tanker you know if you want to change direction it's a slow beast to move but it can be done and, but it's about drip feeding the message on a continuous basis and on a continuous and regular basis um to you know it's like we say to any organizations that look into embark on um road safety programs overall 
don't do everything January the 1st, throw everything at the drivers January the 1st and expect them to complete it straight away. Drip feed it over a period of time. So keep reinforcing the messages time and time again and, and let drivers know that this is this is a process. This become part of our DNA. It's going to be business as usual. It's here to stay and drip feed that message on a regular and ongoing basis. Andy, would you concur with that? Absolutely. Continuous. That's what research shows. That's what the most um, effective programs that we've seen with many a, an organisation globally that we've found uh, and seen over the couple of decades that we've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of global corporates. It's those organisations who see road safety no different to any other health and safety style initiative within their organisation that benefit the most and, and that get the best buy-in, leadership commitment, results from in whichever way you want to measure it. Um, it's all embracing. There's no panacea. You know, there's no silver bullets to to road safety. It's it's just something that once organisations grasp that nettle, then they, you know, they live with it and they embrace it and they embrace the challenges and they embrace the rewards. Uh, yeah, great point, Andy, as well. I often find with organisations, there's that initial hurdle to get over. Once you get over it, the results are fantastic. And you'll see, you know, you'll see it time and time again with an organisation. It's, you know, how do we make that initial, take that initial leap of faith but once you've done it, honestly, the results on the back end, you know, in terms of safety and, and all the other good metrics that will come off and spin-offs that will come off of it are immense. But it's just taking that leap of faith to begin with. Looking maybe specifically at high-risk drivers, what does the coaching look like for them? Three different types. We think, Nick, in essence, you know, and again, you know, this is this is just, you know, our, our initial thoughts of this. But, you know, three different types of coaching that we'd probably recommend as an outset for organisations to consider. First, definitely annual conduct across all drivers. Um, definitely including those that they're identified as high risk through whatever metrics or mechanisms that, that organisations use to identify drivers more at risk than others. You know, and the, you know, the, the a low risk driver will receive a quick, two minute pat on the back well done but the message around safety and driver safety um, is still alive and with all these annual coaching sessions you know the objectives are very simple you set expectations promote accountability uh, and reinforce the company messages as well because it sets the goal and it keeps the importance of the issue alive um, in both the driver's mind and the manager's mind and this is where picking up a point that Nick made um, about the involvement and the interaction between driver and manager these are the types of people who you know best placed if appropriate and applicable um, and the resources are available for instance for those conversations to happen I mean the second element of coaching that we'd, we'd always recommend is definitely post-collision you know if a driver's involved in a crash then from a welfare perspective you know the manager needs to be involved to make sure the driver's all right. Um, but, the, you know, also the, under, the understanding as to why that event's happened as well, because there could be changes that need, the, you know, there could be reasons as to why that collision's happened. And the fact that a conversation's happening around it drives a very important message, both to the individual driver that's, you know, that's unfortunately being involved in this instance or this incident, and the manager himself. And, and, and you know, again, this needs to happen in a timely manner, definitely within, you know, hopefully as soon as possible. You know, if it's after a couple of weeks, then it's probably too late. Um, but, you know, the discussion, you know, why it's happened, and when you're looking at the event, why it's happened, you know, what could have happened differently, um, you know, because the essence of these discussions is not just a tick box. It's trying to help to understand 
why the collision happened so you can prevent it happening again. And that, that ties back into the point around having an effective risk management framework around driver safety naturally is an improving process. You know, if things are going wrong, if the collisions are happening, then you want to understand as to why you can do what can, what measures can be put in place either for the individual or at the organizational level to, to help drive down the chances of them, of them happening, happening again. And, and like I say, sorry, Nick. I was going to say just one point I want to stress on this, Andy. If I, sorry you sorry to interrupt you. you. So. And sorry, apologies. And, and about, it's about when, how, the manner in which the, the, you know, the, the post-collision debrief is, is, is conducted. And it's not looking to point the finger of blame. It really is looking to establish truly what is the root cause. Because if you don't understand the root cause, you can't do anything to affect that, alter that change that, you know, and, and, and prevent that crash incident collision happening again in the future. Sorry, Andy. You're never sorry, Mr. <laughs> <I'm never> sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just, I was just going to add that the, you know, the, the, um, cause I think I mentioned three different types, didn't I? I think we've only done two, although my maths was never that great, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, the third, the third key area around, um, you know, the coaching fire is those high risk drivers. Definitely. Yeah, naturally, the identification of, of risk almost prompts or, or cajoles an organisation into doing something about it. Um, you know, and, and those once are identified, once those high-risk drivers are identified, then you need to use what evidence, what data, what insights you've got to help identify, you know, when an individual does fall into a certain, say, you know, high-risk threshold, that there is a process in place for that conversation or that coaching session then to happen. So again, you know, the point here for, for, for an organisation to, to ponder and understand is, you know, are they looking at the data? Are they assessing all the various risk-based data streams that they have? Do they know what their collision rates are? Do they understand what the telemetry data is telling them? Do they understand, you know, have they got visibility on the training that's provided for, for the drivers, for instance? You know, so understanding all those various different elements of, of information that's broadly, you know, widely available now to companies is, you know, an important part of the jigsaw for an organisation to, to have in its locker to know that when an individual does unfortunately trip into, you know, a higher risk than other bracket, then there is a process in place for an organisation to identify that and then for the coaching to to kick in, as we talked about, specifically around collision coaching sessions, for instance. You know, it's important not to forget that, you know, reactively acting once an individual's unfortunately being involved in a collision is one thing, but having a broader understanding of the risks posed by those individuals who drive for work and having a policy in place that helps to identify, analyse, and then hopefully mitigate the risks of surrounding those that that, or that group of drivers is, is in place. And it's very important for an organisation to, to understand that and take a more proactive view around the road safety programme and just then just reacting to any events. So listen, chaps, I think we've covered some great content here today. Um, I don't want our listeners and readers to get too overwhelmed with what we've covered. What are some of the specific tools that they can look at to really help them enact change? Okay, David, thanks for that. Yeah, uh, well, so as always with eDriving, we have a great uh, wide variety of uh, digital driver safety solutions that are available. Um, anything from online risk assessments, 
um, driver pledges to help with the culture, um, some of the uh, what we call risk foundation tools. So we look at specific policies and procedures for organizations and doing that comprehension check with drivers. Um, we have e-learning um, courses coming out of our ears almost in terms of a variety of different driver topics that are there. And more and more these days, we're working with the smartphone devices in a safe and proactive way with drivers in terms of measuring and monitoring behavior whilst they're driving. Um, that can be including distraction as well. So if they do touch the phone or do any interaction with the phone whilst driving, uh, we can report on that. Now, that's not because we're here to say, I did it. We'd like to say, don't use your phone whilst driving. We know some organizations have a, a phone, you know, a, a permissible phone use policy, but we can use it as one as an audit tool if they, if they have the phone ban policy in place, but also as perhaps going back to some of the points that Andy touched on in terms of post-collision, a root cause analysis tool as well. So huge spectrum of solutions that are available. As always, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy to have a conversation and explore that in more detail with individuals as they wish. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for that, Nick. Um, and I think I've just got one more question. Um, yeah, we touched on the triple threat stuff today, speeding, distraction and fatigue. Um, am I right in thinking that e-driving has just lost some resources to help companies address these specific areas? You are indeed, sir. <laughs> yes, indeed we have, David. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, together in partnership with the... Um, or in conjunction with the Global Road Safety Partnership, yeah, we've literally just launched a new triple threat campaign, obviously, which we've been touching on um, today, um, which includes three dedicated resource centres on our website, edriving.com, uh, one each on speeding, distraction and fatigue. And, you know, just a little detail on that, you know, each res resort centre in its own right, it's got infographics about the behaviours, the threats, for instance, as well as loads of supporting materials, ebooks, webinars, articles, and a whole host of other resources as well, freely available, um, as I say, on our on our corporate website. Um, and also on uh, on top of that, and in support of UN Global Road Safety Week, which takes place a couple of weeks, I believe, between I think about the seventeenth and twenty third of May. It is this year. It's focused on speed. Uh, we're actually offering free of charge uh, an e learning module uh, on speeding for all drivers. Um, as well as we're hosting a webinar um, with the Global Road Safety Partnership about managing speed uh, in the workplace. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, details and further information about this and about all the, uh, the campaign material that we are putting behind this triple threat campaign can be found on our website at edriving.com. Brilliant stuff. And we'll be sure to leave everything linked up in the show notes for our readers and listeners. Um let me just round up by saying thank you very much, Andy and Nick, for joining us on the HSC Network podcast today. We'll have to do this again sometime <laughs> later in 2021. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally look forward to it, David. It's, it's always a pleasure. pleasure.